Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as we recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to see you again this morning. We're excited about the upcoming uh, outreach that we're going to be doing with uh, the Reverend Jimmy Bratcher as our prison outreach, the, uh, what is it, the sixth, no, the fourth through the eighth, ninth of June. We still need some guys to sign up. Okay. So if you would be interested in helping us out on that trip, uh, check at the uh, information counter or talk to Pastor Bob or whatever. We're going to get some guys to help us move all our musical equipment, cymbals, stands, keyboards, various accruements of the musical world as we go from prison to prison. This year is a little bit different. They're going to actually allow us, if you're looking for more of a ministry opportunity, to go in and sit with the prisoners afterwards uh, after playing and talk with them and to minister to them. So if you think this would be something that you'd like to do, share your story about what God's done in your life, and, and uh, that's a great opportunity. So uh, check and see if you can uh, make it for that. We'd love to have you join us. We are continuing in our series on the significant events of the Old Testament. We have been talking about Moses. This is part six now. We read last time that Moses had gone up and received the Ten Commandments. And we talked about all of that. So anyway, he's up there for like 40 days and everything starts to fall apart. We'll pick it up in Exodus chapter 32, verse one. When the people saw that Moses was so long and come, first of all, it wasn't that long. It's so long. Boy, there's one thing that gets people in trouble, it's impatience, right? We just don't want to be patient. You know, it's one of those things you don't want to pray for. I don't want to pray for patience. Because <laughs> God will make me wait longer for my french fries at McDonald's. You know, and I don't want patience. You know, but boy, we struggle. We want stuff to change right now. And if things don't change right now, then we tend to come unglued and have fits and get filled with frustrations and doubts. You know, just relax a little bit. Chill out. All right? The people saw that Moses was so long and coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. It's only been 40 days. Aaron answered them, Well, Aaron, what a weasel. Well, okay, all right. Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, your daughters are wearing and Bring them to me. So all the people took off all their earrings and that's a lot of earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. 
Then they said, when it's all done, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. Now, they're not talking to the Lord of heaven. They're talking to this stupid cow. This is where they've made, and they're considering this the Lord now. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. And afterwards, they sat down to eat, drink, and got up to partay. And they're all booging around the cow. They're worshiping this cow and celebrating and whatnot. I said, now why? Why the cow? What's the, where did they learn that from? They learned it from Egypt. That's what they did in Egypt. The Egyptians were pagans. They worshiped uh, these various idols. And what they were doing was going back to what they knew. Now, it didn't take very long, which is the shocking part of it. But the reality is, as you come out of uh, your experience before Christ and you, you become a Christian and you surrender your heart and your life to him, um, there's a change that happens. And it's wonderful. And there's new life. But don't kid yourself. There are some old habits from Egypt that you have got to shake. And, uh, and it can be a bit troubling uh, and frustrating, but this is where you have to let the power of the Holy Spirit work in you to continue to change you. I've said many times, Christianity is unlike every other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world, you start out learning and studying about the religion, going through their classes, doing all their disciplines, acting out in the right ways, and you finally, then you can join the religion in the hopes that you can connect with God. Christianity is exactly the opposite. God is so desirous to get in contact with you that you start out touching God. He immediately, I mean, it's you, where you start out as a Christian is where the vast majority of of religions of the world never even get. You actually experience God Almighty coming into your heart and life, starting to change your life. The thing is, you don't know jack squat, all right? You don't know much about the Bible. You don't know much about anything. Okay, well now, instead of learning to get to God, you experience God and now you learn and you need to grow in your faith. That's why you should come to church. That's why you should be here on Wednesday nights because most of you are not. And I know because I can add. All right. And uh, but it's, it's your own problem. I mean, you're going to keep struggling. It is what it is when you when you start to fall apart. I, I promise you the people who have the biggest struggles in their lives a year from now other people who don't come to church on Wednesday nights. You get just enough of God to carry you through for a little bit. It takes more than that. You need to be intentional. You do this stuff on purpose. You have to draw close to God and you learn. And we teach the Bible. Sunday mornings is much lighter and general teachings. But on Wednesday nights, we get into the scriptures verse by verse and really teach you what's in there so you can grow in your faith and start to disconnect from your experiences in Egypt And start to connect your new experiences in God. Because if the right buttons are pushed in you, even though you think you're extremely holy, it doesn't take long before you will act just like you did when you were in Egypt. And it'll happen. You know where you really experience this? is during the holidays. And you go and visit in-laws and family and stuff like that. And it's stunning. No matter how devout of a man or woman of the Lord you might be, you get around those cycles and you start acting just like you did when you were growing up around them. Because they know all your buttons to push. You know, you just go, we go right back to Egypt. I know I shouldn't yell, Pastor, but I can't help it. Why? Because I keep going back to Egypt. That's all you know. 
Well, I shouldn't curse. Yeah, you shouldn't. Why do you do that? You keep doing what you've always known because you learned that when you were in Egypt. All these things. And again, I'm not yelling at you about it, although I'm loud. <laughs> what I'm saying is you need to grow in your faith and let the, through the power of the word of God and the Holy Spirit working in your life, you being intentional about your faith, you start to break the patterns of Egypt in your life. Somebody say amen. amen. And I tell you, it'll shock you. All of a sudden, you'll find yourself in a situation you would normally punch somebody in the face and you think, wow, I actually love this guy. Right? It starts to change you. That's when you know you start growing. If you keep finding yourself reacting in ways you know you shouldn't react, you are stuck looking back to Egypt. You got to break free of that. So that's what they did. They, uh, you know, went right back to what they knew. Didn't take long. Here God did these incredible miracles, miracles you and I would pay big money to see. They saw all this stuff, and Moses goes up in the mountain. He's not back, you know, in time, and they just start worshiping a stupid cow that they learned in Egypt. Well, then the Lord's talking to Moses. He's giving him the commandments and stuff like that. And he says, Moses, go down because your people, your people, he says. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? I mean, it's like when your kids are acting up, your son is acting up. It's not my son. He was an hour ago. Now he's yours. Your people who you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from my, what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. I have seen these people. These, the Lord said to Moses, they are stiff-necked people. He has had it up to here with these people. I mean, all that God has done and the miracles, and they still refuse to believe. Still refuse to believe. So God has had it. He said, now leave me alone so that I, my anger may burn against them so that I can destroy them. And I will make into you a great nation. So God's basically saying, let's just kill them all. All right? We'll just start over again. No biggie. Now it took him 430 years to get from Joseph and his family uh, and his brother's stuff to this big group of people at the present time. But, you know, God is very patient. <laughs> Time is not an issue to him. He said, we got no problem. We'll just ice these guys and <laughs> start over again. Maybe we'll get some good ones the next time around. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. And now, in the Old Testament, we see some really severe punishments. We're going to see this as we go along. You say, well, why? You know, is God going to kill me? No, no. It's, it's, it's just there. First of all, we live in an age of grace. But, but here's the deal. We live by faith. I don't think many of you have actually had a face-to-face -face conversation with Jesus, all right? These people were having face-to-face -face encounters with God. They would literally hear God's voice speak to them. In fact, it freaked them out so much, they said to Moses, oh man, we don't want to hear this anymore. This is creepy. You know, you just talk to God, let us know what he says. I mean, really, I mean, they just they couldn't handle it. They are seeing miracles like you can't believe. You know, and then they start acting up. Yeah, there's some serious butt kicking that comes along. In other words, if God Almighty himself shows up to you this evening and sits down and talks with you and tells you to do something tomorrow and you don't do it, I don't want to stand next to you. All right? I'm just saying. Now, we don't experience that. People say, yeah, I wish I could experience that. I don't want to experience that. <laughs> 
Because look what's happened to these cats, man. You know, I'd rather live by faith and grace than than that. So these are people, these people, these are not your ordinary churchgoers. These are people who are experiencing God at a level, I'm telling you, it's hard for us even to comprehend. They don't even have to work a job. These guys got it made. They just get up in the morning and there's food on the floor. Pick it up. Quail come in, little sandwich, you know, just everything's given to them, taking care of them, seeing miracles, they're thirsty, water comes out of nowhere so they can get something to drink. You'd think that would impress them. It does not. They still refuse to believe God had had it. And he said, let me wipe these cats out. And Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. By the way, this happens a few times. <laughs> but... Uh, Moses sought the favor of the Lord. He said, Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people who you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why? <laughs> There's a hundred reasons why. But anyway, he stands in for the people. And then verse 14, then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he threatened. Moses turned now and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant and the law in his hands. They were scribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When he gets down, Joshua's waiting for him. Joshua's a fighter. He's a soldier. Great man of, of God. And all of a sudden, he hears noise, and uh, Joshua says, you know, he, he, he heard the people shouting. And immediately he says to Moses, there, there's a sign of war in the camp. Because that's, that's his thinking. And Moses said, no, it's not the, the sound of victory. It's not the sound of defeat. It's the sound of singing that I hear. And when Moses approached the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing. His anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf the people had made, burned it with fire, ground it into powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. That's what I'm calling some butt kicking. All right. So that was the whole deal with that stupid stupid thing but they still they, they wouldn't let it go they were constantly they couldn't break their connection to their past and I'm telling you if you're going to succeed in your faith you have to break it and I was a lot of people and a lot of psychologists Christian and otherwise who really their whole thing is let's go back and deal with your past and stuff like that. and I know I am in a minority when I say this but I do not think that is the answer your answer isn't to fix your past or to even understand your past. Your answer is to kill it. Let it go. Let it get nailed to the cross. The Bible says, I have died and now I am alive. New life in Christ. Don't constantly be looking back at Egypt. As I said, Jesus said, don't put your hand to the plow. And as you're plowing, keep looking back because you're just going to, you'll get off track. And I know it's hard for some people to hear because you're convinced you've got to straighten out your past. You've got to understand your past. You've got to relive your past. You've got to face your past. I think the Bible teaches you, the New Testament teaches you, you kill your past. It is crucified with Christ. He said, nevertheless, I live, but not me, but Christ lives in me. Forgetting those things which are behind and pressing forward to what is ahead. You cannot fix your past. The good news is you don't have to. Hallelujah. God has brought the blood of Christ that washes away our sins. He makes all things new. Any man who is in Christ is a new creation. The Bible says old things are gone. They're just gone. Quit being like these Israelites and hanging on to Egypt. It will destroy you. Thank you for that one amen. All right.
Where am I? All right. Exodus 34. Now, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets and the covenant law of the law in his hand, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant. They were afraid to come near him. He's glowing like a light bulb. This tends to happen when you sit and chat with God. Okay, which in a physical sense, we do not do. Uh, but I'll tell you, in a way, we do. If you start walking in your face, man, you're going to start glowing. <laughs> I'm serious. The closer you get to God, the more you will be a reflection of the life of God in you. And you start doing this, and I'm telling you, you don't have to say much, and people will start to notice it. Your friends will say, you know, there's something different about you. Some kind of weird about you. They, they start actually getting uncomfortable. Why? Because you're kind of glowing like a little glow bug. It's called the glory of God. And I'll tell you what, you can... You run into Christians as I travel and stuff, traveling and stuff. You, you can find a lot of them just stick out like, <laughs> because they're just walking with God. And you can tell. It doesn't long, take long before they're sharing your faith. And I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian too. And, just, and everybody's looking at us like we're weird. So anyway, when Moses finished speaking to them, he had to put a veil over his face because he glowed so much. And uh, <laughs> I remember walking into I don't know, it was like a, Quick chirp or something like that a few years ago. And I'm just smiling at my, with that normal dumb grin I have on my face. And the lady, hey, quiet. And the, and, the, and the lady says, man, what have you been smoking? I'm not smoking anything. I just got the love of God in me. Just, ooh, you know. So when Moses finished speaking, then he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out, he told the Israelites what he had what had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until we went, he went to speaking with the Lord. Now, again, in a physical sense, we don't have the same experience, but in a spiritual sense, we do. And people will be able to say and see something in you. And why did Jesus say, don't hide the light? Don't put your light under a bushel. Because a lot of times people say, well, gee, there's something different. Oh, oh, oh yeah, no, no. And we just hide. Don't hide. If you can tell there's an opportunity to share your faith, take it. We should be looking for opportunities, you know? And I, I do, sometimes I do the same thing. You know, I miss opportunities, but just look for opportunities to share your faith. Somebody, and a lot of times they'll kick the door wide open for you. Wow, you look happy. What are you so happy about? You know, there's an opportunity. There's something really different about you. I really like you. It's because I'm so wonderful is one option, <laughs> which, believe it or not, some of us will take. Or it's, you know, let me tell you why I'm the way that I am Amen. and why I can be happy the way that I'm happy. And you splash around. We're supposed to be in the swim pool of God and we're supposed to splash water on people. Hallelujah. If I'm walking by the pool, don't splash water on me, though. Just an analogy. All right. Now, Numbers, the 12th chapter. You say, wow, that's a big jump. Yeah, because a lot of this now is just more about the laws of Moses and the laws of this and that. And they had restrictions on everything. And a law, you're not supposed to cook a goat in its own mother's milk. Who boils goats in milk? I like boiled meat in general. I don't want to grill it. Joe does that. He... I, I, you boil goats, is that what you do? Yeah. 
I ain't coming over to your house, man, I'm telling you that. So we jump now. We're into the book of Numbers. Now Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Well, what's the deal with Cushites? Well, there's uh, a couple of possibilities here. Number one, um, uh, if you know, there's still Cushite tribes today. They're black. They're all black. Black, 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 black. All right. Clearly, Moses had married a black woman, something the Bible had not pointed out at this point. Quite frankly, because I don't think the Bible cared. And to be honest with you, I don't think that's what they, was bugging them at all. You know, the color thing, I don't think it's nearly, it was that big a deal in that day as it is sadly uh, today, or it certainly has been in the past. Uh, but she was clearly a black woman which really messes with, you know, God bless all the Southern Baptists <laughs> in the South back in the day when they used to, separation of the races, we're not supposed to, you know, not supposed to mix them. You know, white and Puerto Rican should never get married, you know, that kind of thing. And just what a bunch of idiots. Anyway, they, they finally got over it, thank God. Anyway, they, so they really fought this verse. No, 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 she wasn't black, she was something else, you know. No, she was black. So they didn't like her, either because she was black or more likely just because she, she came from a pagan background. They were all Jews. She was not a Jew. They were very much into keeping their race pure. They were commanded to keep their race pure. And what's Moses doing with this Cushite woman? So that kind of, and remember, we talked about this. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, was a priest of Midian, I guess, right? He wasn't just a, a normal pagan. He was one of the priests of the pagan religions. And Moses lived with these people for 40 years. You got to wonder, what, did Moses go to church or whatever these, with these people and stuff like that? You know, who knows? We, all we know is God, Moses didn't know hardly anything about God until God showed up at the burning bush, you know, and told him to go back. And he's given him all these rules and stuff like that and the laws. And I mean, this, this stuff is as new to Moses as it is to the rest of them. So he basically goes out in the wilderness. He marries into this pagan family. Uh, so it could have been because she was black. I doubt that sincerely. Uh, it could have been because she was a, uh, uh, a pagan and not part of the clan, if you will, much more likely. Uh, and or it could just be because she was a woman and the other women didn't like her, which is very like now it says here, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his wife. As we read, it wasn't Aaron. He was just egged on. It was Miriam. All right. Now, I've often heard from women saying, you know, men are so mean to women. Men? <laughs> men aren't mean to women. Women are mean to women. Good night. Oh, the cat. And they smile while they do it. That's the craziest thing about it. He said, if a guy didn't like you, we just growl and punch you in the face, you know, but not the, how you doing? Oh, I love that outfit. Like, what, did you see what she had on? It was horrible. He was like, <laughs> good night. Just, you know, this is when I was first, before I started doing these marriage seminars and stuff like that, because I have a very man-friendly seminar. I respect both sides. But most of this marriage nonsense that's taught, even in Christianity, is all how holy women are. And if men were just more like women, what a bunch of nonsense. 
as if women are somehow more superior in relationships. They are not. And they say, well, we're great community carriers. Really? I remember I had an office, <laughs> I had my business show. I had a, a, a room full of men. There were like 15 men. We worked together for over a year together. Man, we all communicated clearly. Men have no problem communicating. I guarantee dog to you. And everybody got along just fine. Then I wound up with a whole office full of women. Holy cow. All day long. That's when it started dawning on me. This is like 20 years ago. I told my wife, I said, you know, you girls say you're such great communicators. I don't think you're very good at it at all. Look at the office. She said, I disagree. Of course, the redhead, she'd always disagree. It wouldn't matter. What do you mean disagree? She said, oh, they're great communicators. They're communicating. They hate each other. Uh, not particularly helpful, I must say. All right, now, I, I, I'm, so you know, I did not find this verse so I can say what I'm about to say. I'm saying what I'm about to say because this just happens to be the next verse. Uh, first of all, I want to thank all of you for your prayers and support through all the changes that, you know, I've been going through. And it's been wonderful. It's been fabulous. But there's been a little bickering, a little sniping, just in a few short, small corners concerning my marital status and whether or not I'm going to marry again. And, uh, you know, it's too soon. It's just too soon. Or I don't really like that woman he's looking at. Or, or she's too young. Why is he marrying a younger woman? Well, because I want to, quite frankly. <laughs> And there's, there's nothing new there. I'm seriously, there's, you know, once a guy hits 45, by and large, they all jump back 10 to 20 years. They almost all do. It's very unlikely that they stick with it. There's always exceptions. But generally, that's t at least 10 to 20 years. In fact, I wrote in my book for single women, Being Found. I said, especially to the older ones, I said, look, if you're much past 40, uh, you need to start looking in a different age pool. The reason why some of these women are still singles, they're still trying to find men their age. And by and large, it just doesn't happen. It is what it is. Don't yell at me. Now, you might, but generally not, okay? Because uh, if you're 45, the 45-year-old men around you don't want a 45-year-old woman. They want a 30-year-old woman. It is what it is. That's why I tell them. You know who thinks a 45-year-old is really hot? A 55-year-old. <laughs> and to a 60, you're drop-dead gorgeous, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> All right. So, and it, and it goes. You're 55. You're probably looking 65 plus to 70. They think you're hot because you're hot to them. You know, it is what it is. You say, no, I'm, I'm 50 and I want to marry him who's 51. <laughs> Lots of luck with that. You know, see how it goes. Just, it is what it is. Uh, as for those who think it's too soon, and, you know, I'm not ready to announce anything yet, but I'm just saying, you know, it's, it's too soon. It, look, here's, here's the deal. Here's the promise. Until death do us part. That's the deal. Now, there's this over-romanticized nonsense in people's heads today, comes out of Hollywood, that you're married for eternity, that our love will last forever. 
forever and ever. And all the nice songs about love for each other. No, that's not how it works. You're not married forever. Although there are some of you who are always bickering with each other. If I were God, I would put you in a room with each other forever. <laughs> that would be my version of hell. You deserve each other. But you're not married forever. We read about it in Matthew, the 22nd chapter. That same day, the Sadducees, there were Pharisees and Sadducees. The difference with the Sadducees, they didn't believe in heaven and stuff. Same day, the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. So there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died. And since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second, the third, right down to the seventh. First of all, if a woman has been married six times and they have all died, I ain't signing up for number seven. I'm telling you that. There's a <laughs> the black widow spider, that lady, man. Everybody's dying. What is that? What are you feeding this guy? So they all kick off. Finally, the woman died. I suppose after seven of them. Now, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all were married to her? See, they're just being smart Alex. And Jesus replied, you're in error because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels in heaven who are not married. There is no sex in heaven, which I heard the other day. One guy woke his wife up early in the morning. She said, what? He said, you know, the Bible says there's not going to be any sex in heaven. She said, yeah. He says, well, here's your shot. <laughs> you know, so... Uh, <laughs> Amen. <laughs> if you want in, you got to do it now, folks. Get with the program. Because it's over when you kick off. That's it. All right. So there's no, nobody's married for eternity in any of that nonsense. We make a promise. All of it's till death do us part. And it's what I did uh, till the very end. Now I'm moving on. Now, they say that if women become widows, they tend to remain alone and mourn for years before they even consider going on. Men, by and large, when they become widowers, tend to remarry within months. It's actually the standard. It happens all the time. And there's exceptions on either side. Some guys wait for a long time. Some women can marry right away. Uh, you'd be shocked at how many people within weeks, within weeks, are remarried. Uh, then the family gets really mad at them. Uh, because it's so insulting. I thought, well, because it's so soon. But then I started finding out about families who are still angry because mom or dad remarried two years later. And others, they got mad because they remarried five years later. And others got married seven to ten years later. Some of these people are crazy. All right? Enough with this nonsense. And I've heard people who say, after hearing me, they went and they started apologizing to, to some family in their lives. I mean, they're still angry and bitter. Because mom or dad moved on even 10 years later. The only thing I can think of is they really have this nonsensical concept in their minds that your marriage is for eternity. It is not. Okay? It's just not. I don't care if you watch the movie, the, what was that, Ghost? <laughs> right? And he comes back and they're, you know, they're doing clay together and, you know, little little ghost cuddling and hanging out, you know, just 
No. I know you saw that in Ghost. It's not real. <laughs> All right, so. But the bottom line, people say, well, what? What does the church think? What do your children think? What does your extended family think? I don't know. And quite frankly, I don't care. I love you all. I love you all, but it's none of your stinking business, quite frankly. I don't need your permission, your permission, your permissions, or anybody else's permission. I'm a grown man. I wanted to, I wanted to add a word. I wanted to add a word in there, but I, I stayed away from it. But I'm a grown, a grown blank man is what I am. And, and I don't need anyone's permission. And, and if you like or dislike, you know, it just is irrelevant. Okay. All right. Now, there's a lot more here. I ran out of time because I can't shut up. So, we'll pick up. I want you to see what happens. What God does. Because these people are whining about Moses' wife. It gets a little intense. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your kindness. Help us, Lord mostly from today's lesson, to stay away from Egypt. Help us to break the patterns that we keep falling back into by intentionally replacing our thinking with the scriptures and, with, and growing in your grace. And Lord, for those who seem to be constantly locked into chasing and fixing their past, Lord, help them to just let it go. God, when anyone is in Christ, all things become new Everything else is gone and help us to move forward. We thank you for your kindness in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Have a great Sunday.